Maranatha Grace, Alleluia, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. Happy Easter, brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you on this Easter Sunday morning. To be honest, I'm pretty sad this morning because Easter is my favorite Sunday of the year, and I really hope to be together, to be able to celebrate it together. But, but I am thankful for the ways that the Lord is allowing us to stay connected even in this season, in this difficult time. Uh, I'm thankful uh, for the other pastors and the staff who have really worked uh, worked hard to, uh, in light of this new normal, to to bring um, to to allow us to stay connected, whether through Zoom meetings and these worship gatherings. So, thank you to the the other pastors and the staff. A particular shout out to Justin Moy, who each week pulls all the components of the worship guides together and puts them all in a really nice, smooth, easy format for us to use. And so. Uh, and then delivers them to you in your inboxes and on the website. So thank you all. And I, we also want to thank you, church, for the ways that you've encouraged us and blessed us and sent notes to us as a way that, and a reminder that the Lord is at work, even though we're apart. And so I am thankful in this season that the Lord has not abandoned us, but is very much at work in our lives. And, and that while we long to be together, we know that um, when we do, it'll be even sweeter. And so we love you and we miss you. And with that, let's let's turn and see what God would teach us today in his word. And, and as we've been living in the midst and, and, and of this pandemic, we've been walking, we began a short little mini-series, sermon mini-series called Living as Christians in Difficult Days. And over the past few weeks, we've learned the biblical pattern of, of lament. Last week, we considered about um, we, we thought about waiting in light of and in, 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 in hope of the restoration of all things. That we wait on the Lord with hopeful groans. But the reality is, is how do we live in between these two times? How do we live between these two realities, the hardship and the hope? How do we live fruitful lives? And, and what is the Lord calling us to do or to be in this time? These are just some of the questions that I want to consider this morning. And to do this, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. For the sake of context, this this passage happens the night that Jesus was betrayed. He had just celebrated the Passover with the disciples. He had just instituted the Last Supper. Judas had gone out from the group to betray Jesus into the hands of the Pharisees. And now Jesus is walking with the other disciples and they're going to the garden where Jesus will pray awaiting his arrest. But he turns and gives them important instructions before he's he's arrested. Even though his death was was just moments, it was was just a day away and all the, 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 the emotions and the the agony that he knew awaited him, he he doesn't turn on himself, but instead instructs the disciples in love and in kindness for their good. He he instructs them on what it means to be a fruitful disciple. In our lives, fruitfulness or productivity is a premium quality. We all want it, prize it. Many of us organize our lives to maximize it. And and in, in our area, uh, we, we live in Metro New York City, the city that never sleeps. And if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But ironically, as we strive toward this ideal version of being productive or successful, 
fruitful. I, I actually think many of us are, move further and further away from, from, from lives that are full of thriving and flourishing, lives that are, uh, that are bursting with joy and peace and fullness. And I think that one of the, the things that this season has exposed is this, the things that we have trusted in were so quickly taken away from us. And I don't think that's an accident. In fact, I believe that the Lord is teaching us in this difficult season to readjust our vision of flourishing, to tap into the source of real fruitfulness that, that, that will actually satisfy our souls and is good for the world. Jesus shows us what a fruitful life looks like and does so by way of a beautiful metaphor. John, so if you would follow along with me, and we'll read the first six verses of John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. I'm sorry, I am the vine in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The metaphor is simple but profound. Jesus says that he is the source of true life. He has actually just said that in the previous chapter. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the vine by which the, the, the nutrients of true life flow. Whereas God the Father is the master gardener. God in heaven is the one who oversees and tends to the garden of humanity, as one person puts it. As the gardener, he cares for the, uh, uh, of the vine and the branches and the fruit that it bears so that it would produce good fruit. And, and as the gardener, he also prunes, what, prunes or cuts away parts that, that the branches that do not bear fruit. See, because these dead branches only steal nutrients and hinder the fruit. As the bad parts are trimmed, the good parts get more nutrients, which produce better fruit. Jesus says that we get to tap into this life. This life, this, this getting connected to the vine, comes by responding to the gospel. Jesus says that the gospel brings this kind of life, a life that is connected to the true vine. You see, Jesus came to earth to connect dead branches to the living vine. Sin cut us off from God, the very source of life. But Jesus has come. That is the importance of this weekend, of Good Friday and, and, and the resurrection and Resurrection Sunday. It is the culmination of his work to reunite us to God, to, to, to bring us life, new life, everlasting life, to graft dead branches, those that were cut off from God, back into the life-giving vine. 
He accomplished this in his life, in his death, in his resurrection for all who receive him by faith. Jesus came to give us life in him. Life that is connected to the true source of all living, uh, to, to the true source of all life, God himself. You know, one of the great things about this season for us is that, you know, we, we, we post these, these worship guides online. So, and really anyone can check them out. And so if you just happened uh, across our, our church or you're just visiting, uh, we're so glad you're here and checking it out. And, and what I want to do is just invite you, if you've never experienced this life that Jesus is offering, I'd invite you to, to, to see that there is only true salvation, there is only true life in Jesus, and that you would turn to him, put your trust in him today, and that you would know the experience of, of being connected to God himself through Jesus Christ. For he came to live the life that you should live, and he, came, and he died the death that you deserve to die, so that he might bring us back to God. This is the good news of the gospel. It brings life. But I also know that most listening, and even those that Jesus is speaking to, they've already experienced this life. That's what he says in verse 3, isn't it? Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Because look, I'm going to give you this message. You've already been connected to this life, but this is so important for you to realize that, that it, this message is for you too. Kirsten, my wife, and Kaya, one of our daughters, they're the green thumbs of our family. They, each year they plant fruit and, straw and, and, and herbs and different vegetables. And that will tell you that it's not just enough to see that a fruit is bearing, uh, it, it is alive, that it's green and that it's, it's, it has leaves and some fruit is grown. A, a good gardener monitors the fruit and continues to nurture the plant and to prune it. And, and they need to stay connected to the source of life. They, they need to get the, those good nutrients. They need to be propped up, get good sunlight, get good water, and, and that things don't crowd it out. They have not need enough space to grow. And, and so Jesus says, look, in the same way, if you've experienced life, you, you actually need to stay connected to me. It isn't just that we experience this life and then we, then we have to figure it out on our own. He says, no, you need to stay connected to me. You need to, the word he uses over and over again is abide or remain in me. So what does it mean to remain in him or abide in him? It means to be at home in or to rest in. We're to find our life in him. We're to find our hope, our joy, our peace, our identity. We were made to know God, to live in and by the light of his glory. And, and so our fruitfulness, our productivity, so to speak, is connected to our rootedness in the vine. He says that the branch that remains connected is the branch that bears good, juicy fruit. Just, just think, maybe you visited a, a vineyard before um, or an orchard where they, they, they're growing uh, they have, they're growing grapes as well. Maybe you've visited a winery. And you, and, and you see the vines growing, and you see how the, the, they have branches. Out of the branches, these beautiful clusters begin to form of delicious grapes. But, but if you come off and you, you pull those grape, the, that branch off or that cluster off too soon, the grapes are ruined. They don't ripen off the vine. 
They need to ripen on the vine. And if you pull them off too soon, they're tart, they're hard, they're worthless. But if they remain on the vine, and the nutrients of the vine continue to pump all that grapey goodness into those clusters, the difference is profound. The grapes are juicy, they're plump, they're delicious, they're satisfying. Who wants a grape right now? Me. (laughs) This is what Jesus is saying about what the life of the disciple is all about. We're to remain connected to the vine that all of his goodness, his love, his power, his joy would so infuse our lives that it gushes out. To, to, To be a branch and try to produce this fruit on your own, it's worthless. And it does not satisfy our souls. This guy Esteban Sheb says, if, if a branch, you or me, is not connected to Jesus by trust in him, we're dead with, with no life in us. We may look like a branch on the outside and breathe like a living human, but in our spirit, we are dead. A.T. Robertson, uh, a New Testament scholar, says, There is nothing left for a broken-off branch to do but to wither and die. This is why Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. If we're cut off from the life source, there's no life going through us. And it's it's worthless. It won't last. It doesn't sustain. It's just going to, to, to wither up. He says we must stay connected. But friend, if you're like me, I bet you found it easy to seek this fullness of life and other things. The life that, that, that began connected to the vine is quickly or easily drifts away and is occupied by trying to, to produce the fruit by ourselves. We, and we try other things. We try to connect our lives to other things, our jobs, our wealth, our health, our cleverness, our appearance, the approval of others, the affection of others. We, we, we look to comfort and we do it all, trying to, to, to produce in us something that we cannot manufacture on our own. A fruitfulness that lasts, that is sustainable, that actually produces joy. Jesus is telling the disciples, the way that you found that life in the gospel and when you heard the message and received it, is the way that you need to continue. You need to abide in me. So what does it look like for us to abide in him? How do we do it? How can we live a life that is connected to the vine? Verse 7 through 11, Jesus explains what this abiding practically looks like. He, he, he unpacks the, uh, this, this metaphor for us. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. To abide in Jesus is to abide in his word. For the disciples, it was it was to it was to call to mind all that Jesus had been for the past the, the the previous three years had been teaching them and instructing them in. For us, it is to abide in the Word of God. To abide in Jesus is to abide in His Word. They're synonymous. 
for he is the living word of God. Which to to learn and 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 to desire to know him. And I think some of us are not abiding in him because we don't know him as the word has revealed him to be. We don't know Jesus the way that he's that, that we are meant to. And so we don't know we're not abiding in the living word because we don't really know what the written word has disclosed about him. Jesus says we're to abide in his word and abide. And as we do, as our hearts, our minds, our lives are shaped by it, as the Spirit leads us, as we saw last week, as we, we pray, as the Spirit prays for us and guides us in our prayers, Jesus says that we can pray and know that God will act. Now, let me be very clear. This is not name it and claim it theology. This is not Jesus giving a blank check and going, hey, I'm just your, your vending machine. You just tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. Instead, Jesus is, is saying that as, as you abide in me, as your life is shaped and connected by abiding in me, that the Lord's desires will become your desires. My desires will become your desires. And so, and, and, and he says, and as we pray then, as we go and ask God, it would please God that he would bear fruit in the, in the world. And God is pleased to bring about fruit in our lives that are, are according to his desires. And so as we abide in his word, as we abide in Jesus, we, we can pray in confidence, knowing that the Lord is hears and desires to bring about his, his plan in the world. And so we are to abide in his word. And it also and, and, and he says that we're also to abide in his love. In this is the love that has pursued us, that caused him to leave heaven and come down to earth to call us by name. It is the love that caused that 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 motivated him to lay down his life for us. That, that makes us sons and daughters by grace and grace alone. It's his love that he's bestowed on us, a righteousness that we did not earn and gives us a future we do not deserve. Jesus' love shares his glory with us and calls us to walk in the light of this love daily. Like A.T. Robertson says in another place, our love for Christ is a result of, love, of Christ's love for us. Because Christ has loved us, we love him. And it, our love for Christ is the result of Christ's love for us and is grounded at bottom in the Father's love for the world. If we have life in Christ, it is because we have experienced the fullness of his life, his love toward us. And as we experience this love of God, it stirs in us a love for him. And in so doing, a love that seeks to honor him through our obedience. So obedience then is not to earn his favor, but it's done as an act of love. His ways we see bring about life. His ways are for our good. His ways bring about beauty, goodness, truth in the world. As we abide in him, as his word, as we abide in his word, as we abide in him through prayer, as we abide in him through walking his ways, Jesus says that we will know joy, lasting, full joy. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy would be in you and that your joy may be full. 
This joy that Jesus is talking about is not just mere situational happiness. It is a joy that is rooted in the finished work of Christ. It is a joy that is fixed upon the promises of God. It, it, it's helpful for us then to remember the context that, that Jesus is saying these things. He was, he's just been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's about to be arrested and he's about to be put to death in one of the most excruciating ways the human mind has ever conceived. Yet, yet, Jesus was not preoccupied with self, but instead in love is instructing, serving, caring for others. Why? Why? It's because he is abiding in the tender love and in, in, in the fellowship of his Father. And as he did, he had joy. Not a giddy joy, but a gritty one, a resilient one. Because he knew what awaited him. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, that, that, that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The fullness of joy motivated him, sustained him, and strengthened him to endure what awaited him. The fullness of God's joy was far worth it. He knew what Psalm 16 promised him. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. That's abiding. Because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. Jesus knew the infinite joy that awaited him as he lived connected to the Father. But the abiding that Jesus is talking about is more than just a hope for the future. It had real-time impact. Jesus remained in his Father's love and in his Father's word, and that buoyed him for what he was about to endure. This is what we see in the disciples, too. As they abide in the Lord, in the, in the later parts of the New Testament, we see that as they abide in the Lord, they are resilient in the face of difficulty, and yet abounding in joy. They are pressed down, but they're not crushed. Why? Because they have this joy, even in the midst of hardship, because they're abiding in the Lord. C.S. Lewis writes, If you read history, you will find that those who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. What Jesus is inviting us into is not just a, a um, you know, my mindset on heaven, and so I don't care what happens in this world. No, it is, it is a rootedness in, in Christ that actually produces a, a fruitfulness in this life as well. This is what Jesus is calling us into. He, <clears throat> he's calling us back to abide in him. And as we do, the Lord in his kindness will, will lovingly prune us, cut back on the things that keep us from experiencing the fullness of joy. That would keep us from experiencing the, him more fully. That, that, that as we abide... The Lord, in his kindness, is pruning us that we would be more formed into the image of Christ. In short, 
In this process of abiding, we also know that the great gardener of our souls will prune us in love, disciplining us for our good, that we would learn to love him more, that we would actually be more fruitful. And I can't help but to think that this is what the Lord is doing us individually and as a church in this season. Look, I know there's a lot of work for us to do in the world. We, we have a golden opportunity to show the love of Christ and to serve others. And Pastor Justin's going to finish this series next week talking on this uh, that idea. Look, there's much for us to do in our careers and neighborhoods. But I believe God is at work being that skill for gardener, stripping away the dead branches of our lives. He, he's pruning us. He's removing the branches that suck up so much of our time and our energy. He's removing the branches that slowly but surely choke out our dependence upon him and our delight in him. He's inviting us to abide in him and as a result to work in the power of his might, which produces not just good, but good that lasts. So friend, what am I, let me ask you, what are you abiding in? Are you abiding in his word, in his love, in his ways? I don't think what Jesus is calling us to is that we all need to become monks and only ever read the Bible and pray all over time. I think what this question about what are we abiding in is a question about priority. What are the priorities of your life? What captivates your mind? What do you invest in? What does your heart love more than anything? What are you looking to for your joy? What defines you and motivates you? Like it is, um, this is what C.S. Lewis says in his famous sermon, The Way to Glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Maybe that's you. You're just far too easily pleased. Lewis is saying, we're like kids playing in an alley with dirt, thinking that is a great time. With when we when we when we abide in the things of this world. When 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 we don't know what God is offering us is a beach vacation. A trip to the Caribbean. That even that's the difference of, of, of joy. He goes. And so maybe that's where you are today, is that you're just too easily pleased. You're abiding in the fleeting things of this world. Maybe you're just too distracted. Abiding in career, status, comfort. Perhaps you're just too busy to notice all the dead branches in your life. Frantically bouncing from one scheme and, and to, to another, trying to find something that will satisfy the longings of your heart. You're too busy on the run. And you're too busy trusting in your own strength. Look, we all want to live productive, fruitful lives, lives that matter. And Jesus here shows us how to do that. He says, abide in me, the true vine. I'm the very source of life. How, how is the great gardener of your soul pruning you in this season? I'd invite you to go to him and ask. Talk to others. Personally, this season... The Lord has been revealing areas of my life that he's at work at pruning. 
ways that I've just, they're, they're dead branches and it's affecting the fruit. The Lord is pruning me. And then, and this pruning is, doesn't always feel good in the moment. And it will, it ought to lead us to repent. But, but even as we do, we, we repent in hope and in faith, knowing that God is at work. And, he, and, and the pruning is for our good, so that, would, that we would be more fruitful, have greater joy, that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. And as we do, we know that God will use that for his glory, for our good, and good that will last. And so I think this is true not just of our lives, but also of our church. The reality is COVID-19 has changed the landscape. But it hasn't changed our hope. And it hasn't changed God's sovereignty. And it hasn't changed what it means to be a disciple. Instead, I believe the Lord is at work to prune us, to shape us. He, he stripped away the things that, have, are, that are choking out our dependence upon him. To remind us, to draw us back in, that we would actually abide more fully in him. And as we do, that we would bear more fruit, better fruit, for his glory, for the good of the world, and that our joy would be full. And so before we just go out and just try to do more, I think the Lord is calling us to abide in him. And as we do, his fullness will flow out. For and that our joy would be full and that we would bear fruit that would glorify our great God and our glorious Savior. Lord, bless you on this Easter Sunday. We love you.